Welcome to the Wildlife Health Talks. This is the 13th episode introducing WDA members and their amazing work all over the world. For the first time, I'm taking you to South America, to sunny Sao Paulo in Brazil. My guest today is Dr. Aricia Duarte Benvenuto. Aricia is a PhD candidate with the Laboratory of Wildlife Comparative Pathology at the University of Sao Paulo. She studies infectious diseases in aquatic mammals, including dolphins, whales, manatees, and fur seals. And in 2022, Aricia won the BioOne Ambassador Award. Welcome to the show, Aricia. Thank you so much, Kat. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Congrats on winning the award. That's a really great achievement. And um, the award is giving out in collaboration with the WDA every year. But some people of our audience might not know what this award, the BioOne Ambassador Award, actually entails. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Yes, sure. So basically, the BioOne Ambassador Award is an annual award that recognized early career researchers. And they have to be to have published within the previous year in a journal of the BioOne Complete, for example, Journal of Wildlife Diseases. So the evaluation process is to answer how does your research impact the world to the general public? So basically, it's an award that combines your science because you publish it, but also to how you communicate your science and to the world. So basically, it's that. I was awarded last year with a publication that I published in the Journal of Wildlife Diseases. And in that, that described the findings of stranded fur seals in the Brazilian coast. And in my application, for example, I created a video explaining the findings of this study, and I was selected as one of the five winners. Awesome. That's very cool. And you are part of the selection committee this year, and I figured the applications are already underway, so it's too late to apply for this year, right? Yes, so the applications is done this year, but as I mentioned, is an annual award. So I really do recommend to all the early career researchers to apply to it. It's a very fun process. You train your science communication skills and you also get connected to people and to researchers from all over the world doing not working just with pathology or stuff like that, but different approaches as well. So next year people apply for it it's it's worth it i swear to you <laughs> <laughs> awesome that sounds great so yeah please keep your eyes out for the award announcement next year Arisia, please tell me when did you join the wda uh i joined wda in 2014 i was uh, doing an exchange program in canada for a year and my supervisor there she introduced me to WDA and I got the opportunity to go to an international conference to present my work done in Canada. So that's how I got to know WDA through Dr. Seuss. Do you have a favorite memory related to the WDA? Um, I have lots of great memories related with the WDA, but I really would say that the same conference, the 2014 conference, it's a very special one for me. Because it was the first one, obviously, but also because I was finishing this exchange program in Canada, which was amazing. Uh, I stayed there for almost a year and I learned a lot. I was still in vet school during that time. 
But once I went to this conference, I got reconnected with one of my professors from Brazil, Dr. Cato. He was there and he's my supervisor today. So it was kind of like a very important moment for me professionally because I was with my Canadian supervisor and then I met my future Brazilian supervisor. So that's conference holds a very special place for me, especially right now that I'm finishing up the PhD with Dr. Castell's supervision. So that's a very, very special memory to me. (laughs) Nice. I love that. That sounds like it was really good in so many different ways. It was amazing, amazing. And I loved it. It was my first conference. So it was nerve wracking, but also like very inspiring. (laughs) Aricia, let's have a brief chat about the Latin American WDA section. Since you're my first interviewee from the Latin American WDA section, I feel like we should do this. So obviously, one of the goals of this podcast is to introduce the individual members to the general WDA community a bit more and the individual sections as well. And from what I heard just on the sideline, that your section has been really active in the past. But I feel like not everyone within the WDA actually knows about what is going on in Latin America in terms of WDA work. Do you want to share with us a bit? Like, what are the events that are happening in the near future? And yeah, what does the Latin American community look like at the moment? Yes, so the Latin American section was created in 2011, so a long, more than 10 years ago during the international conference in Quebec. And so, but lots of things happened. Usually what we have is a biennial section conference. So every two years, the Latin American section gets together and do this conference, which is very smaller compared to the ones of the international ones, but they're very, very fun and informative. We're also now in the social media trying to talk more with with future members and trying to connect with more people and trying to be more accessible to everyone. We have the student chapter here in Latin American too, which all the students get together. They have meetings and they talk about their work. They have mentorship programs. So basically what we do is what the international WDA do, but we try to do that focusing on the problematics and in the characteristics of our section region, which is Latin America. This year, we're going to have a biannual conference meeting in Guatemala. So if you would like to connect more with the Latin American folks, come to the Guatemala to the meeting. It's going to be a very, very good one. And the main focus of this meeting is going to be talking about One Health. So in, in a very good, low cost. So that's, you're all invited. Awesome. That sounds really good. And I'm always happy for an excuse to go to places like Guatemala. That's amazing. What's the usual language of the conference? Is it in Spanish or is it a mix? I think it's kind of like a mixed because people from other parts of the world also attended. So basically the main countries in Latin America, they are speaking in Spanish, but us from Brazil, we speak in Portuguese. Spanish people and Portuguese people, when we're talking together, if we're talking very slowly, we can understand each other. So we're always like just playing that talk slowly that people will understand you. But if people that would like to talk in English, we would more like be happy to make the conference more accessible to all. But I think the main 
focus of the conference is everyone talking in their own languages and trying to understand each other. One of the goals of the international WDA community is definitely to have a similar representation from all around the world. But we have a pretty long way to go still. So at the international WDA conferences, it usually happens that there are not too many members of the Latin American section. What do you think are the main hurdles for people from that section to attend the international conferences? I really do believe that it's cost related. As folks from Latin America, there's lots of different political scenarios, but usually the currency exchange is very hard on us. So if we're talking about a hundred dollars, for example, conference for us in Brazil, it's going to be five times more expensive. So I think that the main challenge is the cost. For the professors, I really do believe that it's accessible, but not as much for the students. So I really do think that's cost related and people usually they tend to go to the section conference because it's a little bit cheaper and and then the professors can go with their students all together so I really do believe it's cost related. Yeah that makes a lot of sense and what would you say how could this be mitigated a bit in the future and what are your hopes for this aspect of more participation from Latin America? So basically, I believe that things are changing and are improving. There is a lot of opportunities of grants within the WDA, and I think it has to be spread the news more for the Latin American folks. So that's one of the things that we are working on. So maybe in the future, creating special rates for different sections that they have this problem cost-related and spreading the news about grants opportunities would be a good way to increase the participants of Latin America. This year, the WDA International done one action that was very good for us. They donate lots of memberships for the Latin American students. And with that action, we were able to donate more than 70 memberships for WDA students in Latin America. So that's a huge thing because those students, they would not have the possibility to be part of the association. And now that they are part of it, they can get inspired by it and they can get to know about these grants opportunities and actually think about, I want to go to the conference. How do I go? And so inspiring people and getting people to know the WDA International Conference and that it's possible for them, I think it's one of the first steps and we are walking through it. A large part of your PhD is doing necropsies on marine mammals. Have you always been interested in pathology or is this something like a newly found passion that came with your PhD? It's a very funny thing because during my the vet school, I would always say I'm not working with dead animals. And then I went to Canada for a year and Dr. Seuss that I had mentioned before, she's a pathologist and she's working in this field. So I fell in love with it during my stay in Canada. But we are doing more mostly necropsies on other terrestrial mammals and birds and all of these other animals and not aquatic ones. And once I got back to Brazil, uh, Dr. Castão's lab, they had a huge group of postgrads 
working with marine animals. And then I started to work with them as well. And then doing lots of externships and internships and performing necropsies. And then I fell in love. So it's not actually a newly found passion, but I completely changed my mind during vet school. That's why you have to be open to all of the opportunities. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) That's awesome. In your PhD, you study the infectious diseases of marine mammals. What's the significance of that in the bigger picture? So basically, aquatic mammals, that they are mammals, that they adapted to live in the aquatic environment. And for these adaptations, they develop such anatomical and physiological characteristics that makes them very important for their environment. So they are classified as bioindicators of the aquatic ecosystem health. So basically, if we're evaluating or assessing the health of the aquatic mammals, we are indirectly assessing the ecosystem health as well. And this ecosystem, the aquatic one, is facing multiple and multiple of threats. So we're talking about climate change, contamination with chemicals, plastic, overfishing. So basically everything we throw away ends up in the ocean. And so it's very important for us to learn the consequences of these threats. And one of the proposed long-term consequences are the emergency of the infectious diseases. Um, The pandemic highlighted for the general public the importance of monitoring wildlife diseases. And as I mentioned, like the aquatic environment is facing lots of threats. So it's essential for us to monitor and to survey these infectious diseases in their sentinels, which would be the aquatic mammals. So that's why I really do believe that it's important for us to monitor and to study these infectious diseases and their patterns and the possibility to to jump to humans or not, but just to know what's going on and what's circulating in these animals an event that plays an important role for your PhD, but that is actually quite sad, is that in 2018, in the southeast of Brazil, there was a massive increase of strandings of fur seals. And that has become one of your chapters to look into the causes of those strandings. How many seal strandings did occur in that year? And what's the usual average so in Brazil, we don't have any breeding colonies for the for pinnipeds. So usually what we see is these occasional vagrants that they strand in our coast during their dispersion moment after the reproductive season. So basically for Sao Paulo, which is more in the eastern part and not in the south part of Brazil, it's not so common to see these animals. Usually in 2015, 16, 17, the pattern or the number of the strandings were around two or three. But in 2018, there was a record number of 18 strandings in that region, which is a very small region compared to the Brazilian coast. So that just popped up for us, like, okay, we have something happened here. Let's look further into that. So basically, that's the increase that we're talking about, because as we don't have breeding colonies, there's not a lot of strandings, but even like these small numbers that seems to be, if we think about like the the jump of 2 to 18, that's a lot. You investigated the potential causes of those strandings and you published your work in the WDA journal. What did you find? So basically what we looked is 
that the starvation is a very important cause of morbidity and mortality in these animals stranded in Brazil. Overall, there are juveniles in poor body condition and they present lots of secondary infections that are related with this malnourishment and also the immune status of these individuals. So with that paper, we could understand a little bit more about the health status of the animals stranding within our coast and that help us to increase a little bit of our rehabilitation success and treatments as well. And also to see an expansion of the geographic range and host of a few parasites, for example, for Neospora, and also understand a little bit more about the pattern of infection of herpes virus in these animals. So basically what we see is that, that these animals are stranding in a very poor body condition and probably starvation in juveniles could be associated with any causes, including the lack of foraging skills or even climatic events. So we cannot understand completely what happened, but it's basically that they're having trouble on finding food. And that's why they're getting very thin. And is the situation, the stranding numbers, is that back to normal now? No, they're actually never gone back to two. So in 2020, for example, in the same region, there was reported 21 stranding. So we think that it's kind of like getting in these numbers, but it oscillates a little bit because the dispersion of these animals are usually related with oceanographic and climatic events. So, for, for example, in 2021, there was only 10 reports. So there is kind of an oscillation where we are seeing the numbers up to 10. And one of the main things is that more Antarctic species are stranding in the Brazilian coast, which is very unusual. Usually the main um, species that stranded here are the South American ones, the South American fur seal, the South American sea lion and the subantarctic fur seal. However, we are seeing now Antarctic fur seals and elephant seals training here as well. So we believe that it's climate change related and that these trendings are going to keep up and probably increase in the future. So is the hypothesis basically that the conditions down in the Southern Oceans are getting a bit less favorable for those species, especially in winter, so that there's a tendency for individuals to move further north to find food or at least to escape the cold of the Southern Ocean? Yes. So the prey dispersion is usually associated with the temperature of the sea. So if there is an increase in the temperature of the sea, this prey disperses more. So these animals, they have to go after the prey and it's more difficult for them to find the prey. So usually that happens during natural oscillations or climatic events such as El Nino, La Nina oscillations. However, with climatic change, there is also an increase of these temperatures. So the polar areas are getting warmer and warmer and the distribution range of the animals are changing because of it so yeah it's basically what you said do you get any leopard seals up in brazil yes we do sometimes it's not as usual but it's happening but now elephant seals and antarctic seals are the ones that are more usual that they were not so there was a record number of the strandings of these animals into 221 and we are investigating them as well do you want to chat a little bit more about the other chapters of your phd so what else have you been focusing on so basically these paper that we're talking about, it's not going to be in the final page 
PhD. It's a it, it was considered kind of like a parallel work, but my PhD is focused on the investigation of selected emerging infectious pathogens in aquatic mammals, actually. So the first chapter is already published, and we discovered and surveyed for emotropic mycoplasma, which is a bacteria in aquatic mammals of the Amazon basin. So that's already published. We got to publish that in last December. And now the f second chapter of the PhD is going to do the same analysis or very similar analysis of this bacteria, however, jumping to the ocean. So we're going to look into the marine mammals as well. And the third and fourth chapter is going to be more focused on viral infections and some DNA or RNA viruses that are that are not so commonly found in aquatic mammals. So basically that's it. And I'm very excited because I'm going to present the second chapter of the PhD during the international conference in Athens. So very soon I can talk more about it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. I'm really excited to hear your talk there. Thanks so much for being my guest on the show, Arisia. It was really fun to learn about your research and to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. I was very happy that I could share a little bit of our work in the Latin America and a little bit of my PhD and the work with the seals and all the marine mammals here. And I wish you all the best for your future work. And it sounds like you have a pretty promising career in your field ahead of you. Thank you so much. And I'm very excited to meet you in person in the future. <laughs> Me too. And all of our listeners will be able to as well in Georgia in July. <laughs> so don't miss out on that. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the Wildlife Health Talks. We will be back with a new story in two weeks. Bye for now.